If you'll turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10. verse 1 to you this morning, Daniel chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. For many weeks now, I, I, I don't know exactly how many, but for many weeks now we have been going through the book of Daniel. And as we're coming into chapters 10, 11, and 12, we're actually coming into the very closing of the book. And really, 10, 11, and 12 are basically uh, kind of one section building upon itself as it moves along. And as I've been thinking about this section for a while, because it's the culmination of the book, as we're moving into that section by way of introduction to this section and actually kind of some conclusion of where we've been, I want us to think about some things and take a little bit of a breath this morning, because as we move to 10, 11, and 12, there continues to be a lot of connectivity and thoughtfulness that we need to have as we build into 10, 11, and 12. And we've already been a long way by the time we've gotten to the end of chapter 9. There's a lot that's been developed and thought through. And there's a section here or a phrase here in verse 1 that reminded me, and I've thought about it for some time, as to how important it is to think about uh, faithfulness. And there's a sense in which Daniel reminds us of that continually not only in his writing and in his life, but in the context of everything he's dealing with. And in verse 1, as it gives us some of the the background parameter to this, this vision and what will unfold in chapters 10, 11, and 12, there's an interesting phrase. And the message, it's that, that message that Daniel received, the message was true And one of great conflict. One of great conflict. There's been much debate sometimes over that phrase. Now, not near as much debate as the end of chapter 9 as we talked about in weeks previous. But there's a sense in which we need to understand the context of everything that is going on with these visions and what Daniel is seeing in a real practical, sensible understanding in what is taking place not only in his life but for the life of a Christian. These visions that Daniel has seen and this vision that he will see that will be told to us, it is said the message was true. Now the phrase the message here is not just speaking of the words and the, the context or, or the sense of all the imagery 
These visions have had much imagery to them, and we've talked about the imagery, the apocalyptic context of it, that these images were not to be taken in every literal sense, that there was some great physical, literal, unidentifiable beast that Daniel was going to see, that that was an identification of uh, the empire of Rome and its successors. We've seen that kind of imagery played out. But the imagery gives truth about what will happen from our perspective, what happened in history, but for Daniel's perspective about what was coming upon the people of Israel. The imagery is the message that is true because it gives the content of what the people need. Number one this morning, remember the truth from God is accomplished with blessing. Remember the truth from God is accomplished with blessing. Daniel has been through this exile himself. He's walked it and lived every instance of the exile, every instance of the captivity. What it means to be ripped away from your home and your family. What it means to live in a foreign land and have nothing there that really you've ever known and been a part of. Most of us don't travel to foreign countries in our lifetime. But if you do and you've been to a a literal foreign country that you almost have nothing in common with, you know what it means to walk in a place and to see things and to not really understand most of what is going on in that country and in its context. And Daniel's lived that. And yet in the midst of all of that, what we've seen so far is that every trial that Daniel has been brought through has God has been accomplishing his blessing all along the way. Everything that God has done is a reminder of how he's going to have this time of return for the people of Israel. That there will be a time that after these 70 years are up, that they're going to be able to return to Israel and to see those things again which were near to them. blessing that God gives is based on promise. Everything that is being worked out here is based on the promise of God to his people. In the time of the context of the Israelites, this is based on the promise that God would not leave them in captivity, that he would save them. Now, that brings us to number two because it ties this together in an interesting way. Remember the truth from God is not always pleasant. We need to remember the truth from God is accompanied with blessing or accomplished with blessing. And remember the truth from God is not always pleasant. We 
live in a day and age and even in our country where most of the time we're always thinking about comfort. We want things to be comfortable. I want them to be the way they were. I want them to be uh, this way or that way because it's comfortable to me. It's what I know. But God's promise to the people was that he would return them to Israel. And yet think of all that's transpired in these 68 years or so that they might return for a while. Think of it in the context of Daniel's life. Have Daniel and his friends purely lived a comfortable life even though they've been in leadership positions to some degree? Sometimes we want to remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fire and think of what God did in bringing them out of the fire, which is amazing, and we talked about it, and it's glorious. But the fact is, is they had to go through all of that before God did it. We want the salvation part of it without the being marched up the tower and thrown off the edge into the fire part. We want often to be like Joseph, living as one in the comfort, as the second hand to the Pharaoh, not remembering everything that went along with him getting to that place. The truth of God is not always pleasant. Even the return itself doesn't mean complete bliss. We think of Daniel and all that he went through, even the very visions that he has been given it tells us in chapter 8 and chapter 9 how exhausted he was upon dealing with these visions. The world we live in is exhausting. Aren't there just some days you're just tired? You're tired of all the garbage. Tired of hearing this issue or that issue. You're tired of another thing that has unfolded in our country and our culture, and it's just unraveling things. So many times we're looking for some specific thing to do or some specific thing to happen that we will change all of these things. But we have to remember the change in Daniel's life and where he is and where he's headed is not about always what he's doing to change something. The visions are often a promise of what God is doing and will do, and he is the very agent of change. And that we will at times have to walk through very, very uncomfortable situations. We will have to live through very tumultuous times. And what God is doing in his people 
is upon his promise to them, he's building their faithfulness in the promise and building it toward him. Not only was the message true, but it says the message was one of great conflict. The message was one of great conflict. It wasn't conflict or conflicting. It wasn't conflict because God didn't know what was going to happen. It wasn't conflict because God, for some reason, lost his bearings. It's conflict in the sense that a part of God's outworking of his promise, there's going to be great conflict in the outworking of it. Why? Because you have righteousness dealing with unrighteousness. And that's always a clash. For the people of Israel, they will be reminded although we've just come out of chapter 9 and this great promise of the return and, and Daniel's read in Jeremiah, the 70 years is about up. We're, we're going we're gonna to return. It's going to be wonderful. But even in the end of chapter 9 and as we build in 10, 11, and 12, there's going to be this real recognition that this return is not going to be bliss. The return itself comes with great frustration. Read Ezra and Nehemiah. One problem after another. They, they finally get there to build the wall and then there's somebody that doesn't want them to build it. They're restrained for a while because they're having to deal with this governor and that governor and that leader and they have to go back and find in the books the original decree You don't think that the Israelites knew about government bureaucracy, red tape, the frustration of dealing with people who are leading you, who are inept and problematic in multiple ways. You don't think the Israelites in the return didn't understand what it's like to have people over you who just madden you at every moment. But it's not just in the return that there's the conflict and there's the struggle. Daniel has already alluded to this reality that's far beyond just a struggle in the return. It's going to be a struggle for several hundred years. There's even going to be promise in here that once the Messiah comes, there's still conflict. There's going to be promise that relates to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in A.D. 70. And there was still conflict. Even Jesus preaching in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 alludes to how awful the day of the destruction of Jerusalem will be.
And by that time, they would have been able to return to Jerusalem for hundreds of years after Daniel's life and his visions. There was much conflict, much difficulty during the return, after the return. Even the one we spoke of a few weeks ago, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, the struggles of 167 B.C. to 162 B.C., how the temple would just be just, just ripped apart with all kind of paganism. It's a reminder to us that even after the Messiah came and lived perfectly and died a sinner's death and was raised on the third day and then he ascended to be with the Father, sitting at his right hand, reigning, ruler, ruling, interceding on behalf of his people. But there's still conflict on this world that believers have to deal with. The conflict reminds us of Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5. When he's reminding us there is a promise, but until the promise comes, that we have to be sober-minded. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, this is all imagery that Paul is using here to, to draw the people in, into the idea between darkness and light. And that the light is going to pierce through the darkness, but when it does, there's always conflict and struggle that comes along with it. Just as John wrote in his epistles, there's always this conflict when the light comes, when righteousness comes and pierces into unrighteousness. Paul earlier in this letter to 1 Thessalonians had reminded the people of the importance of their sanctification, sexual morality. He had him reminded them the purpose that we weren't called for impurity but for purity. Don't you think Daniel is an image of some of these words here? Look at this man and how faithful he was in God's grace in a day and age that had all kind of trials and troubles. We haven't lived as Christians in America to a place yet where we've been ripped out of our homes. We haven't been drug off to a foreign land physically. Our children haven't been taken literally physically from us yet and whisked off to a different land as to be trained up in the way of that land. Daniel lived it. His parents lived it. And look at his faithfulness. 
Even when God gave him visions of what would happen, those visions were disturbing and struggling and exhausting. When you and I read the Word of God, so, so many churches today are just trying to say to people, if you'll just read certain verses, you'll always be happy. It's so false. It's such false teaching. Our joy is not wrapped up in our personal comfort. Our joy is wrapped up that no matter what happens in the conflict of this world and God dealing with it, that God's promise is true. He will keep His people. Did He not sustain Daniel? Did He not sustain His friends? Did He not keep them? But they still had to walk through all the trials, all the difficulties, all the heartaches. As I've continued to just study and study 10, 11, and 12, I'm just really pressed by the importance of understanding that there's no promise for me in this world that it's always about my personal comfort. As the ending of this book comes and this last major vision from 10, 11, and 12, it's a message of conflict. And as I read that, I thought, well, it's all been a message of conflict. So far, that's what Daniel has had to live through. It's a reminder of the cause of the conflict. In the book of Daniel, we're seeing a, this kind of concerted book in one theme to show us how awful sin is in a global cosmic sense. Sin is so awful that even God's people in that ethnic sense, the nation of Israel, it has affected them so badly that they have lived for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in ongoing paganism and sin that God orchestrates major nations and world powers to have to bring judgment upon them. I don't know if you've thought much about that, but as I've continued to think about that, that isn't it. I mean, in, in my world, isn't that a little extreme? You know, aren't there times as a parent that you kind of dealt with a situation and then after you dealt with it, you kind of thought, boy, that was a little extreme. You know, that glass got broken and... 
I just basically acted like the whole world came to an end. Wasn't that a little extreme? Here God is, though. He is shaping all of history to show his power and authority even over his very people and shaping history to bring the very one Messiah in a way to say this conflict of sin, it has to be dealt with. It cannot be unkept and undealt with. It must be dealt with. And all of it in a cosmic sense must be dealt with. Even my very own people walking through that conflict, I will orchestrate everything in all of this globe, in time, space, and history to bring about a final consummation to the conflict with unrighteousness. And I will deal with it. But while the Lord deals with it, it's unpleasant. Remember, the truth of God is not always pleasant. Now, are we to have a joy in our salvation? Yes. Scripture tells us that, doesn't it? Even the psalmist prays for it. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Now, what's that tell you? There was a time that the psalmist was saying, I didn't have any joy in my salvation. Restore it to me. But when he restores our joy, it doesn't mean that everything's become, everything becomes bliss and there's never any conflict or problem. Daniel, I want you to, to think about all we've seen Daniel go through up to this point. I want you to think like somebody like Joseph and everything they went through in the whole of their life. I want you to line all those things up. And we could, we could do a number of others, okay? David had his own issues. Now, Joseph wasn't perfect. Job. I mean, look, we could just line them up. These great figures. Was Paul's life a life of ease? Was Peter's life a life of ease? Was the Lord Jesus' life a life of ease? The very people that were supposed to love him, they hated him, denied him. I think there's too many times that the modern church has lost sight of how awful sin is and at what great price it takes to deal with unrighteousness and lawlessness. That even the very Son of God had to come to this earth and walk in all of the conflict. Even in that small space of his ministry in the regions around Jerusalem and Israel, he, he, didn't, he didn't walk far and wide. Uh, he didn't go as far as Paul did. But even in those small areas, even in that microcosm, what we see is that great conflict of sin is always around him and he's having to walk in it and through it. And what was he doing? He was staying sober. He was alert.
thirdly this morning. Remember, the truth of God is informing to our daily living. Remember, the truth of God is informing to our daily living. Up until this point, consider what Daniel has done. Daniel has done those things in his sphere he was to do. In that sphere, that circle of his life, he's been steady in that place. Now, granted, his sphere was a lot different than most of ours. We understand that, right? Most of us won't be in his position. Um, doesn't mean that the Lord won't use a Christian in some of those positions. He certainly has in the past, in other nations, and in our own. He's done that. And doesn't mean he won't do it again. But in the meantime, while that doesn't seem to be necessarily happening on a broad scale, I don't know the hearts and souls of every leader in our nation um, or our state or our local community. The Lord knows their souls. But on a broad scale, it seems like all that's not very biblically minded. It seems like that's headed in a very unrighteous way. In the meantime, what are we to be doing? Should we be optimistic or pessimistic? Should we be sitting around all the time? Woe is me. It's awful. It's terrible. This conflict is awful. God's going to keep us in it forever. It's oh, it's terrible. And I'll just sit here and just die in it. No. We should be optimistic. Why should we be optimistic? What we've already seen and what we will see is God's authority over all the cosmos. What we've seen and all and will see is God's plan. That he has a plan for all of time, space, and history. He alone is righteous. Who better to work out that plan? If, if you're struggling to, to think through that sometimes and to be comforted and to be optimistic, well, don't, don't struggle. There are numerous places in Scripture where God tells us he has a plan and quite frankly, the whole book of Daniel is an unfolding to us that God is telling us he has a plan. He's already told us there's going to be four major nations which are upcoming, one during the time of Daniel and three coming after him in a way that God is going to use every one of them. And the ongoing work of those nations, it enables the sending of the Messiah and his coming. Rome had to be what Rome was for the outworking of the Messiah to come and the message to go out. We need to be optimistic. If God planned four nations, and we know back before Daniel, there's lots of other nations he planned too. Remember the people I talk about all the time, the ites? He planned all those ites. And he used them. 
Here's our optimism. God has a purpose and God has a plan, and he's working it out properly, even in ways we don't understand. How do we put our optimism to good use? We look at Daniel's life and we become faithful, just as Daniel was faithful, in the place where we were put by God himself. We don't really know anything about Daniel's family or anything like that. There's plenty of other places in Scripture that tell us plainly that our first and foremost place to live right before God is with our nearest of neighbors, and that's our spouses and our children. Husbands, how are you leading your homes? We could muster up an army and take on this or that or the other. But if we don't have godly homes, it won't matter because the next generation will act just like the one before it. That was the problem in the nation of Israel, right? That was part of the promise that we read out of Deuteronomy 6. Scott read it to you last week. The context of this is you're supposed to be telling every generation about who this God is and what he's done and what he continues to do. We're supposed to be nurturing our children in those truths. Moms, you're of this first line to, to talk to your children. Are you the ones growing your children in these things? Husbands, are you providing for your homes? Are you being godly and thoughtful in how you provide for your homes? Are you giving your, your wife a space that she can teach her children these things and she's not always worried about other things? If we were to read a, Paul, a bulk of Paul's letters, he's always saying something about the family, it seems like. Why? Because that's that preparation for the day of the Lord. That's part of being sober and alert, is knowing that our children are sinners and we have to give them the gospel. This truth of God informs our daily living in such a way. It informs everything from the basis of this is how we're optimistic. If there's going to be any change on this world, God will use his servants. Some of those servants are his people and he uses them as they're being prepared rightly for the future. It was an amazing thing to read about Daniel's upbringing and how his upbringing impacted everything he did once he was put into exile. Daniel was brought up on the law of the Lord, and the law of the Lord informed his wisdom, and the way Daniel thought in, in wisdom was the way the Lord used him in that wisdom in that moment. Moms and dads, you're training your kids how to think. Do you think that it was happenstance that Daniel ended up being where he was? 
Well, they had to just take somebody into exile. And then, oh, we just got this kid Daniel and his friends. God orchestrated who the very person was that would be used. And it goes back to how they were trained. God did that. But he used Daniel's parents in training him wisely. I've just been so struck as I read these things. These visions get caught up in your head and you get just just wowed by the, just the magnificence of all the vision and thinking about the coming Messiah. But there's all these practical things that lead up to that. It's, it's not magic tricks. It's not magician work. It, these things are amazing, and it's amazing that God can work in this way. But there's all these things in all these people's daily lives that God is working out, and He's impressing upon His people. This is how you're to live and move. I've given you your being to to worship and glory in me in these things. How do you live and act at work? Daniel had to go to work every day. Didn't he? Didn't he have to go to work every day? He had to show up at work and he had to deal with pagans. And if you read about some of these pagans, they weren't really the best of pagans, were they? Anytime you have somebody that's willing to throw somebody in a flame and fire, I wouldn't say that's the best of pagans. He had to show up to work, be a faithful, godly young man, a faithful, godly middle-aged man, a faithful, godly older, older man. Daniel gives us the gamut, doesn't he? We're looking at a life well lived. To God's pleasure. To God's glory. Before we get into the immensity of this last vision, don't lose sight of how Daniel was being used in everyday life. To be a faithful man right where he was. We all long as believers for this unrighteousness and this conflict just to be dealt with. I don't want to sin anymore. I'm tired of my own sin. I'm tired of even having to think about my own sin, much less anybody else's. I'm just tired of sin. Are some of y'all tired of sin? I'm not the only one, right? But Daniel shows me it's every day. It's always there. My strength comes from God's word, his promise, from his true message. His message that tells me the conflict is going to be hard. His message that tells me in the conflict to walk with Him, to meditate on His law day and night. 
But his message will also tell us there is a promised and coming end to all of the conflict. And there is an eternal day of peace. So while we walk in the conflict and we live in it, striving against our own sin to be prudent in the truth of God's word in our present sphere of life. Whatever it is you may do and wherever it is you may go and whatever it is you may be, are you looking at that with Godward glasses? Christ-focused glasses. But also alert to the fact as this last vision builds upon chapter 9 will tell us there's a coming end. As this last vision, Paul gives us these great and glorious themes and ideas, it will be reconciled. Do you walk in the confidence that God promises he will bring an end to all sin, to all conflict. Do you walk in that promise? Not a promise he's going to do it your way, but a promise he's going to do it his way. Do you walk with that strength? Do you walk with that commitment? Do you live with that optimism and that joy? Do you have a joy knowing that Christ is going to reconcile all things to himself? Do you live with the joy that all of your sin has been forgiven in Christ Jesus alone? Even the ones you don't even know? Do you walk with an optimism that although this conflict is present and real, Christ will not lose one of his people. I think Daniel's been an example to us. He walked with that kind of optimism. Even when the conflict was present and real and true. May we be reminded that God has a purpose and a promise for all of his people, even in the conflict, every day. Amen.